Let me say a prayer for us, and then we'll get started. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the Passover supper. Thank you that as a congregation we get to go through the book of Exodus. I pray that those that have been uh, here week after week studying this would receive it and, and dive deeper into your word and walk away with a better understanding of how it impacts them and their lives. And I also pray the same for uh, someone who might be here their first week. Um, would we all encounter you through your word? It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Now, how many of you here feel like you have a good memory? You can just raise your hand if you think, ah, I'm someone who has a pretty good memory. Okay, so there's, there's a couple of you. Those are also the humble ones, right? <laughs> now, memory takes practice, right? Memory development, there's all sorts of things you can do uh, to kind of get your memory going. And maybe some of you have heard that saying, like the, the, the shortest pencil is longer than the longest memory. Uh, because if you can write something down, you, you won't lose it, and then you can at least, you know, look at what you wrote down. The problem is if you write something down and then you lose the piece of paper, there's, there's no helping you at all. But I do want to test our memories today, especially those of you that raised your hand and said, oh, I have a good memory. I want to say a phrase, uh, an intentionally weird phrase, a weird phrase at the beginning of the sermon. I want to see if you can remember this phrase by the end of the sermon. All right, do so you think you can do that? All right, so the phrase, are you ready for it? The phrase is goat on a tree. All right, goat on a tree. Now there are a lot of ways to remember that phrase, aren't there? You could write it down. Maybe some of you are writing it down and that's an okay thing. You could turn to your neighbor and you could whisper goat on a tree. Why don't we do that, actually? Why don't you turn to your neighbor and whisper goat on a tree? Go ahead. Go ahead. If you don't have a neighbor, you can just whisper it silently. All right. Good. We're, we're all together. Now, I've actually, I've brought some kind of memory uh, pictures to help you remember this phrase, goat on a tree. Uh, I thought, what better way to remember a goat on a tree than to look at a picture of some goats <laughs> on a tree? These are some, uh, the, the tree goats of Morocco. They are very famous for climbing up in trees to eat tree nuts because there is not much food on the ground. All right, well that's pretty good. Now if you're really serious about remembering this phrase, if you take this challenge to heart, you can actually go not far from here uh, to uh, a, an apple orchard, Honey Pot Hill Apple Orchard, and you can see a real life goat on a tree. Right there. Now, it's easy to forget things, isn't it? Apparently, apparently, it's a myth. Maybe some of you have heard that myth that fish forget things in like three seconds. That's a myth. They've done studies that have shown that fish can remember things up to five months. So that movie, Finding Dory, is a complete lie. So if you can't remember this phrase, goat on a tree, your memory is worse than that of a goldfish. Now... We're not the only ones who struggle to remember things, are we? In our context, if we have a problem remembering things, we can bet that the people of the Scriptures, that the people of Exodus also had a challenge remembering things. In fact, in Exodus chapter 12, the, Exodus, uh, the, the chapter that Terry just read for us, 
he is about to lead the people out of Israel. Moses, he's the leader of the Israelites, the Hebrew people, but he is being led by God. And God intentionally gives them a celebration, a holiday to help them remember things. So a year after year celebration, a year after year festival that will help them remember a message that God wants to give them, a really important truth. Now, what do we do on our holidays? In our context, we remember things, right? We celebrate things. We remember on 4th of July, we remember our, our, our freedoms. Uh, on uh, Labor Day, we remember hard work and how it benefits everyone. On Christmas, we remember the birth of Jesus or Santa Claus, one or the other. On Easter, we, we remember the resurrection of Christ Jesus or perhaps Easter bunnies. On Halloween, I'm not really sure what we remember. We remember candy. There's all sorts of things that we remember. And even last week, we, we uh, had someone celebrating Chinese New Year. That's an that's a opportunity to remember. The holiday that the, the Lord gives the Israelites, he really gives them kind of two holidays, two holy days. He gives them the Passover and the Festival of Unleavened Bread. Today, I want us to focus primarily on what God was doing in the Passover, what God was teaching the Israelites in this specific holy day. And I believe that God was ultimately at the heart of Passover teaching the Israelites, the Hebrew people, to remember this. Remember your Passover substitute, the lamb. Remember your Passover substitute, the lamb. Now, the Israelites celebrate this holiday with a meal. So probably the most similar holiday we have in our culture is Thanksgiving. And today you might call it a, a Seder. And this Seder is a time where Jewish people gather together. They, they eat a lamb shank. They eat bitter herbs. Uh, they, they, they eat the, uh, the unleavened bread. And they remember how God brought his people out of Egypt. But they also remember something that's in, in the very name Passover. I've brought some verses for us to look at. Exodus chapter 12, verses 26 through 27. So what is Passover all about? It's really here. And when, you, and when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. So this is pretty obvious, right? Passover reminds us of God passing over the Hebrew people when he was judging uh, the nation of Egypt. Now, we're, gonna, we're kind of doing an overview of Exodus chapter 12 and Exodus chapter 13, and I encourage you to go home and read it. But as we're really trying to remember this central truth, I want us to look at three specific remembrances that'll help us remember that uh, our Passover, help remember the Passover substitute, the lamb. So the first remembrance, remembrance number one, the Passover lamb is a personal substitute. Now last week I preached through the plagues of Egypt, Exodus 7 through 11, and there we see really nine plagues of Egypt, and a tenth plague threatened. And we just saw the tenth plague, which actually happens during Passover, during uh, that evening. And the, the worst plague really is the last plague. 
It's the 10th plague where God says to the Egyptians that he is going to strike down every firstborn in Egypt. And he says this because Pharaoh won't let the Israelites go. The Israelites are God's firstborn people. They're his special people. And so we see in Exodus 11, verse 5, every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh, who sits on the throne, to the firstborn son of the female slave, who is at her handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. Now, last week we remembered, we reviewed that God is just in doing this. Remember, uh, the previous Pharaoh threw the baby Hebrew boys into the, the river, the Nile, as an act of judgment against these people. He was, they were persecuting them. And so God is, in one sense, uh, dealing out fair justice even in the plagues. And this is a serious thing to, to say all the firstborn are going to die. Because the firstborn, especially the firstborn males, were very uh, blessed. They were very honored in that culture. Really, the family heritage centered around the firstborn. The firstborn had specific rights and privileges called a birthright. Maybe some of you have heard of Esau's birthright. Well, the birthright was receiving a double portion of the inheritance. Uh, it was uh, having, being the oldest son was also, you were just considered to have more strength, more authority. Kind of uh, the authority of the father was passed down to that son. So really you can kind of track the patriarchal lineage through them. But he was especially blessed, and this is the normal pattern. We see other examples of that, where God breaks that pattern. But we see this as the normal pattern, at least among the Israelite people, and that extended to other cultures as well. So when God says, I'm going to kill the firstborn, he's saying, I'm going to wipe out a whole generation of leadership, a whole, a whole generation of, of chosen children. And God even says, I'm going to kill Pharaoh's firstborn son. Well, what's specific about that is that Pharaoh's firstborn was to become the next Pharaoh. God is really dealing it out to the Egyptians here. But even as God is going to pass over the uh, Israelites, so he's going to strike down the Egyptians, but how is he going to pass over the Israelites? It seems like God is coming in judgment. Why spare the Israelites? It's because of a personal substitute. A substitute is someone who, place, who takes the place of another. God's going to provide a substitute for the firstborns of the Israelites. God is going to provide a lamb. So what does God tell Moses to do? Take a, a year-old lamb, one that doesn't have any blemishes, no scars, no broken bones, is spotless, and you're going to sacrifice it. As twilight comes, as the day ends, sacrifice that lamb, boil it, and eat it. Take its blood, take a hyssop plant, which is kind of like a, a, a hairy uh, leafed plant, dip it in the blood, and wipe it on the door frames of your house, of the entrance, the top, and the sides. And when I come, when my destroyer comes, when I come to, to take vengeance on the Egyptians, I will pass over the Israelites. I will pass over my chosen people. So the whole idea of a, a personal substitute, this is a, a personal substitutionary lamb, this is not a foreign idea to the Israelites. 
Maybe some of you were here when we were going through the book of Genesis, and we learned about Abraham. And Abraham was given a son named Isaac. And at one point, uh, God, came down, God, God spoke to Abraham and said, go and sacrifice your son Isaac. And so what did Abraham do? He took him up on a mountain, uh, and he was just about to sacrifice him when God stopped him and said, you know, I know your heart is true. I've tested you. You, you love me more than anything else. And here is a what? A substitutionary ram in the thicket. And so perhaps the Israelite people would have remembered back to that story, the story that had been passed down and thought, well, just like God tested Abraham, now God is testing us. He's calling us to have faith, to trust, to, uh, to put our faith in that substitutionary lamb. And the generations after this are called to remember the very same thing. Now, when we think about the lamb, we don't really think it's very personal, do we? Think there's, just, there's just a lamb, and it's sacrificed, and they put the blood on the door frames of the house. Uh, but you've got to think about what the, the lamb was replacing. <laughs> the lamb was replacing the firstborn. So think about the firstborn son in your family, or, you know, if you have a daughter, think about the firstborn daughter. Now, the, the Egyptians, uh, the Israelites would not have said, oh, man, I really don't want the firstborn to die. <laughs> they would have said, I don't want Aaron to die. I don't want Reuben to die. I don't want Zedekiah or Haggai to die. Now, if you were there in that culture, whose name would you say? I personally would say, man, I don't want Timothy to die, my older brother. Who would you say? You would say, oh, I don't want Micah. I don't want Max to die. I don't want Greg to die. Or Sawyer, or Jonathan, or William. <laughs> These are real people that, uh, in their culture, that real rams took the place of. See, God wanted them to remember that this was a real personal substitution. This really mattered. This really spared the lives of individuals. The Passover lamb is a personal substitute, and they would have remembered that going forward uh, forth, uh, with generations to come. Remembrance number two. The Passover lamb provides undeserved substitution. Now, I want us to think about this for a moment. If God had not provided a substitutionary lamb, a goat, or a sheep for each household, if they had not taken that, what would have happened? God would have killed the firstborn sons of Israel. That's right. He would not have spared them. There had to be a substitution. But this, this substitution was an act of grace. Our, our worship service was about mercy and grace. And this substitution is an act of grace. God spared the undeserving. And that sounds a little bit harsh, right? To say, well, these children, from younger to older, these firstborn sons, they deserve to die? How can that be true? Psalm 51.5 tells us why. It says, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. See, if God is perfectly good, and he can't, he can't stand injustice. He can't stand sin. To, to do so would to be contrary to his nature. Then God must take vengeance on sin. 
What is sin? Sin is uh, distrust of God. Sin is taking uh, our life in our hands and saying, God, I'm going to do it my way instead of doing it your way. Sin is rebellion. And what this scripture passage is telling us is that we're all, sin is not simply choices that we make, but sin is a posture of the heart. That we all have it on the inside, and we all deserve to be held accountable by God, don't we? See, we're all guilty, and we all deserve death, whether you're born today or 3,500 years ago in Israel or in Egypt. The firstborn sons of Israel are not spared because they deserve it. They're given an act of grace. They're given a gift in their place to pay for their sins. A substitutionary lamb pays for their sins. Uh, maybe some of you have heard the, the, the more fancy, the theological word for this, and that's substitutionary atonement. To atone for something is to pay for something, to make it right. This lamb was an act of substitutionary atonement. Do you realize that we're also guilty? <laughs> That just like those Israelites, we don't deserve God to pass over us. Right now, in this moment, each and every one of us deserves to be struck down. We all deserve to die. That's kind of hard to swallow, right? Well, what if you did die tonight and you, you went up to the pearly gates and God asked you, why should I let you in to heaven? Why should I let you into eternity? Well, what would your answer be? Would your answer be, well, it's because I'm a good person? Because I went through life and I, I did better than the person next to me. <laughs> I was kinder. You can send them to hell. Well, that answer won't cut it. Because if God is perfectly good and perfectly just, how can he let you into heaven? No matter how small your sin is. And the thing about sin is that it's deceptive. <laughs> and we don't understand the depths of our own sin and our, what we need a substitution for. See, the Passover lamb is an undeserved substitution. And remembrance number three is that the Passover lamb substitution isn't enough. <laughs> In one real way, it actually doesn't really work. It saves those firstborn sons on that first night. But then going forward, God says, well, I'm going to continue uh, to kind of take the firstborn sons of Israel as my own. See, there's still a sin problem that remains. And so for the generations to come, when, the, when a first child, when a first son is born, you have to go and you have to make a sacrifice. So they continue to sacrifice sheep and cattle and, and goats. And when the Israelites get to the promised land, God provides a different pathway forward. Because ultimately, sheep and, and, and cattle and goats... They don't work. They're, they're not a one-to-one. They don't, they don't make up for a human. So when the Israelites reach the promised land, God changes us. He sets aside the tribe of Levi. So there are 12 tribes of Israel, and one of the tribes is named Levi. And God says, I'm going to take these people to be my holy people. They're going to belong to me. You know, you're not going to have to kill them. You're not going to have to sacrifice them, nothing like that. But they're going to belong to me and they're going to symbolically represent those firstborn. Because, well, the lambs didn't do it. So we're going to take people. And people are going, to, are going to kind of be the substitution for the rest of the Israelites. 
Numbers 8, 17 through 18 says this. It says, every firstborn male in Israel, whether human or animal, is mine. When I struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, I set them apart for myself. And I have taken the Levites in place of all the firstborn sons of Israel. What this tells us is two things. One, people still continue to sin. We're still in sin, and so we still need substitutes going forward. And two, the life of a goat or the life of a sheep does not work. The Passover lamb substitution is not enough. But neither is the life of a Levite. You know why? Because they're also sinful. They're also broken, right? What makes a substitutionary like, sacrifice work is that that substitution is guiltless. It's innocent, right? So it pays uh, for a party that is guilty. But what do we know about all those Levites? They're born in sin, they have a, a posture of sin in their hearts. And so they're not even an adequate substitute for all the other Israelites. Man, the Israelites are really in a mess. <laughs> and I've gotten all that from the Passover. But there's good news. Because a little bit later in the history of Israel, there's a prophet. He comes along, and his name is Isaiah. And he says, guess what? <laughs> Another lamb's going to come. A perfect lamb, a lamb that will be an adequate substitute, that will be more than adequate. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 7 says this, it says, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. This verse falls in a passage that's pointing forward to this coming lamb, this, this awesome, this wonderful lamb that will be an adequate substitute. And we've already said his name here tonight. And at Cornerstone, we're all about him. And his name is Jesus. So I believe we're called in our context to remember this. We're to remember our, our Passover substitute, the lamb, Jesus. Jesus Christ. See, our substitute has a name. In the New Testament, when uh, Jesus goes to get baptized, it's towards the beginning of his ministry. It's actually right before he goes into the wilderness. Notice the people of Israel, they're about to go into the wilderness. He goes to get baptized by John the Baptist uh, at the Jordan River. And what does John say? John 1.29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God, the Lamb, the Lamb is here. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb who's a substitute. See, all the way back in Passover, the reason that it talks so much about this substitute lamb is because it wanted the, the, the people of Israel to one day recognize the real thing, the real deal. Jesus, the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And the good news, the gospel, is that if you put your faith in this lamb, you know that he is your substitute. You know that he takes away your sin. How's he going to do this? He's going to do it by getting on a tree, by getting on a cross. Do any of you recall that phrase that I wanted you to remember? A few of you? Go it on a tree. <laughs> That's right. It wasn't completely random. See, the, the, the lamb, it could be a sheep, or it could be a goat. 
And the, the, the Passover, it points forward to another meal. It points forward to another event. So you remembered goat on a tree, and when you think of that phrase, you're, this week that'll probably be the only thing you remember from this sermon. And when you think of that, think of the lamb on the tree. Think of the lamb that came to sacrifice himself for us. It wasn't okay for any of those Levites to die. They didn't work. All those lambs that had to die, they didn't work. There's only one lamb that can truly pay for our sins. There's only one lamb on a tree. His name is Jesus. It's interesting that even the Passover itself points forward to the cross. Where did they put the blood? They took the blood from the lamb and they put it on the door frame of the house, on the sides and on the top. That looks a little bit like a cross, doesn't it? Where did Jesus spill his blood? On a tree, on a cross. If you were to die tonight and go up to, uh, to heaven and God were to ask you, why should I let you in? You know, the right answer is not, I had a good life or, you know, I was better than the, my neighbor. <laughs> the, the, the right answer is, I don't deserve to come in. <laughs> I'm sinful. I am broken. But I have a substitute, don't I? See, Jesus paid for my sins. He died for me. He's the lamb. He's my sacrifice. He's my king. He's my substitute. See, I'm not, I'm not entering into heaven based on my life. <laughs> I'm, I'm entering into heaven based on the life of the lamb. <laughs> and what do we know about Jesus' life? It was perfect. And by perfect, I don't mean he had a lot of money and drove a nice car. By perfect, I mean he didn't sin. He didn't blow it like we blow it. He was always obeying God. He was always putting God first in his life. <laughs> that's what he does at the cross. He pays for our sins. He becomes our substitute. But then he also gives us something else. He gives us that perfect life. So that when we enter into, so that we can enter into heaven because we're perfect. Not only have all of our sins been paid for, but we're absolutely pure. We're absolutely holy. We shine just like Jesus shines. <laughs> See, Jesus has redeemed us. He has purchased us. He has bought us back. 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19 just says, it says how precious this is. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Do you realize that if you know Jesus your life has been purchased. Jesus is your personal substitute. <laughs> Jesus has paid for you. You are that firstborn. You don't have to be the firstborn son. You're just a child of God now. This is worth celebrating. And guess what? At the end of the Bible, there's a big celebration where it says, it says the angels come before God and the elders and all the people, they come and they worship God. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. They come and they fall down before the Lamb. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. This is people singing to the Lamb. 
In our passage, we didn't read it tonight, but it talks about a mixed multitude leaving Egypt. The mixed multitude uh, will one day come to fruition when people from every nation and tribe and language can say, the lamb was my personal substitute. (laughs) The lamb died for me. In London, uh, there's a park. It's called Postman's Park. And there's a memorial at this park. Uh, and it's not a memorial to postmen like, or, or servicemen. It's not a memorial to firefighters or police officers. It's a mo- memorial to everyday heroes that gave their lives trying to save other people. The monument has 62 different stories of men women and children that laid it all down to save someone else. The, the, the youngest story is of an eight-year-old and the oldest story is of a 61-year-old man. I want you to imagine for a moment that you are at this park in London. Some of you love Europe. You're, 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 you're in London. You're, you're hanging out. You're in this little park and you're reading the plaques. And you're walking along and you read one of the little plaques and you see it's the story of a Jewish carpenter. And he lived a long time ago, and he, he went and did some crazy stuff to try to save the life of a friend. And he was put to death by the governing authorities. He was put to death by the religious elite. And there's this crazy part about him rising from the grave and saving this friend. And when you look at the name of the friend, Whose name do you see there? A lump forms in your throat because you see your name. You see Jonathan. You see Terry. You see Catherine. You see Pat. You see Jeremy. You see your name written on the plaque because a Jewish carpenter died for you 2,000 years ago, and that changes everything. Today, we're actually visiting that memorial. Not the one in London, but we're, we're visiting a similar, similar memorial. We're visiting the Lord's Supper, communion. Now, Jesus gave the Lord's Supper, communion, to his disciples on the night he was betrayed. And the night he was betrayed was Passover, right? And during Passover, he instituted a new supper, the Lord's Supper, communion. And it's a fulfillment of Passover. Just like goat on a tree points forward to a lamb on a tree, Passover points forward to the Lord's Supper, to communion. And I invite you as we approach this to to sit in the park, to think about the one who substituted himself for you, who is willing to spill his blood and break his body so that you don't have to. You know what? Jesus substituted himself for us. One more final thought as we prepare ourselves so that we can live lives that have been changed. Now, we didn't really focus on it tonight, but there's the festival of unleavened bread. And in this festival, the Israelites are not supposed to eat any leaven. Leaven is yeast, right? What does yeast do? It gets into bread and it causes it to rise. And leaven 
here became a symbol for sin. If you look in the New Testament, it says, try to fight, it says, fight the leaven, you know, uh, put out the leaven, you know, put out the yeast, put out the sin in your life because it ruins the loaf. It can ruin us. So as we approach the Lord's Supper, let's examine our own hearts. Let's, let's look and see, are there ways that we need to repent Are there ways that we need to put the the leaven out of our lives, the yeast? I know there are ways in my life. And we don't have to be perfect to come to the table. But we do need to be repentant. And if there is sin in your life, you know, like, I'm just not repenting of this. I am holding on to this. Then I would say, actually, don't take the Lord's Supper but don't, take it because, don't not take it because you're not perfect. We're all not perfect. Come on in, kids. Interesting thing about the Passover and the Festival of Unleavened Bread. Passover started on the 10th, and it went to the 14th. And this Festival of Unleavened Bread started on the 14th. And you were to bring the goat, this cute little you know, sheep, Uh, goat into your home on the night of the 10th. You know what that means? It means you would have that goat or that lamb in your house for four days. You would get to know that sheep. You would get to know that goat. You would get to know that lamb. And then four days later, you would sacrifice it. That kind of stings, doesn't it? If you want to fight the sin in your life, get to know the lamb. As we get to know the lamb, as we get to know his name, Jesus, we realize that sin actually wounded him. We begin to lose the taste for sin in our lives, don't we? So let's examine our hearts as we come to the Lord's table. Remember your Passover substitute, the lamb, Jesus. So on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. He took unleavened bread. And he said, this is my body. (laughs) That's interesting. Stop and think about that for a moment. Unleavened bread is sinless. Jesus is saying, this is my sinless body. And it's going to be broken. It's going to be broken For you, take and eat this, do this in remembrance of me because you need my sinless life inside of you. You need my life in place of your life. You need a substitute. And then what does he do? He says, take the cup. Take the cup and drink my blood. It's been poured out for you. The Bible says that the life is in the blood. See, Jesus gave his life for us. And we take it into us as a reminder that his life has been substituted for our lives. We remember the lamb on a tree who's who's hanging there in our place, but praise God, he died and then he rose again. Now, when the original hearers that, that original night when they received the, uh, the Passover supper 
when they uh, participated in that, Moses actually gave instructions for the celebration going forward. He said foreigners were not supposed to take of the supper. It was anyone who hadn't been circumcised. They weren't supposed to participate. Now, at Cornerstone, you don't have to be a member of this church to take the supper, but you do need to be a Christian. You need to be part of the community of God, just like those first partakers of the, of the Passover had to be a part of the Israelite community. And you don't have to be circumcised in the flesh, but you do have to be circumcised in the heart. That means your heart has been changed. You've, you've experienced the forgiveness of God. You've experienced his grace. And if that's not you, I invite you to make that commitment tonight, to confess your sins and say, I'm sorry, forgive me. And guess what he does? He substitutes his life for yours just like that. I want to invite the servers up. And I'm going to, I'm going to say a prayer for us. And then we're going to take it. But I invite you to really remember, to remember your substitute, your substitute lamb, Jesus, as we take the supper. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for sending your son to die for us, to break his body and spill his blood so that we can live. Thank you for our substitute. In Jesus' name, amen.